This episode of The Sweaty Penguin is brought to you by Marching Band. Have you ever wanted to enroll in the army but would rather your gun be a saxophone? Try Marching Band today. Welcome to the Sweaty Penguin's second annual holiday mailbag episode. This is where I will catch up on some of our wonderful tip of the iceberg questions from our listeners. And last year, I included a few that were more cynical questions, if you will. Uh, This year, I'm including all cynical questions. I think this will be really fun. Uh, I know around the holidays, sometimes you get into debates with family and there often is more nuance than actually can be covered in these situations. But I've also got some questions from some trolls on Instagram and TikTok we had this year for you in the second segment. So ChatGPT is going to help me answer those questions. That should be a lot of fun. Let's dive in here. We're going to take some more substantive ones first. And I'm starting with this one from, uh, sorry if I mispronounce your name, Austin Mowenster says, So why all the climate hysteria? It makes me think there's an ulterior motive that the politicians and world leaders have when they continue to command that everyone follow their ridiculous rules. This isn't as cynical as it might sound. I I don't want to say I agree, but there's something here. So first off, on climate change itself, climate change is real, climate change is human cause, there is very clear science that demonstrates this. Uh, We talked just last week about how the greenhouse effect works, where when you emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, it uh, traps infrared radiation and warms the planet, and we know that we have been emitting a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, primarily via fossil fuel combustion. So we know that's true. We also know that a warmed planet leads to a lot of bad stuff, right? It increases the severity of extreme heat, of wildfires, of hurricanes, of extreme cold, of long, long list of things. And it also affects sea level rise, it affects our ecosystems. There's a long list of issues that we've explored on this very podcast that climate change affects, and these things are really bad. They cost lives, they cost us a lot of money, uh, they affect our health, they affect justice, they affect national security, they affect uh, species around the world. None of that is very good. So that explains why there is a healthy amount of climate hysteria. That said, sometimes I have seen this get pushed too far as well. And I think it's tricky when, uh, I'll put it this way, one of our big, or really our main objective here at the Sweaty Penguin is to combat climate anxiety. And climate anxiety takes a lot of different forms. It can be 
just denying that there's an issue where it's too scary, we don't want to engage with it, so we don't. Uh, and that's often a subconscious thing. Uh, it can be that we become indifferent to the issue similarly. Um, but it also leads to this doomsday stuff that we see from... Uh, I see it a lot among people my age where we feel like the planet is doomed, there's nothing we can do, and the hysteria ensues. So I think that that is very real. If it goes beyond what the science says, which sometimes it does, the planet is not doomed. We certainly have it within our power to get this under control, and in fact, every economic incentive would suggest that we should and we will. So in that sense, yeah, it's uh, it can be maybe more hysteria than is appropriate. Not that we shouldn't be taking this really seriously, but we also should be able to get out of bed in the morning. To the point about politicians and world leaders, I think this is a somewhat real thing that happens too. Just because these issues can be solved through policies that help both the environment and the economy doesn't mean they always are. Sometimes policies are proposed or even implemented that do create this kind of economic sacrifice to help the environment. Often if we're over-regulating something or creating uh, investments that aren't going to the right places. Like, we, we, we can mess this up, even though it should be pretty, I don't want to say straightforward, but should be very doable to address these issues with economically and environmentally beneficial policies. To use an example, I, I, I'm not trying to take a stance one way or the other, but uh, the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is not actually a policy per se. It's just like a 14-page or so document that has just a list of goals that the writers of this Green New Deal would like to see. And a lot of them are related to climate. Some of them are completely separate from climate. And you can very well look at that and say, hey, I like the climate ones. I don't like the other ones. I don't want to support this. And then later it looks like uh, those people didn't support climate change when really they just didn't support these uh, these things that had nothing to do with the climate that were jammed into this policy. That happens a lot with other things too. I mean, the there's many, many policies that are just like thousand page bills that are quote unquote about climate, but then include a lot of other stuff that has nothing to do with climate. In reality, to actually address climate change, you don't have to ask people to make sacrifices. You don't have to restrict economies. Uh, there are ways to do it that uh, deregulate or just create fairer regulations that open up markets, that open up innovation, that allow new technologies to thrive. So I could go on about this for a while, but I think sometimes there is an ulterior motive, uh, Austin. I think sometimes politicians will use climate as an opportunity to try to slip by other stuff that isn't necessarily related. But we don't have to do that. And the more that we can use our voices and say, hey, I don't like this policy, I like that idea better, uh, try to have a more constructive conversation than just uh, deny the issue entirely, that's where we can get some of this under control.
Our next question comes from Texas Horns fans on Instagram and didn't know that we had uh, Texas Longhorns fans watching our stuff, but I really appreciate that. Uh, the question is global cooling arrow, global warming arrow, climate change arrow, question mark, question mark, question mark. So this is a genuine thing I hear a lot. So I, I do really appreciate this question. And I don't know the history off the top of my head, but I will say this. There was, of course, as anyone alive then knows, worry about global cooling back in, what, 40, 50 some odd years ago. And the reason was due to, I believe, ozone depleting chemicals that we were emitting into the atmosphere that was causing uh, causing some problems. And the reason that that is no longer an issue is that we fixed it. There was a Montreal Protocol uh, that the United Nations uh, agreed upon where everyone was going to phase out these uh, these chemicals, and they did it, and we fixed it. It's that simple, and it's one of the most successful, uh, if not the most successful, uh, multilateral environmental treaty that has ever happened. So... Uh, now we don't have to worry about the ozone hole and global cooling and all of that stuff. So that's that's really exciting. And I wish more people understood that because it wasn't some mass hysteria thing. It was a real issue that we fixed and we can do it again. So global cooling goes to global warming, which goes to climate change. The global warming to climate change thing, it's... Really, the reason that that happened is because they they refer to the same thing, but the reason climate change is maybe a more precise way to describe it is that while the average surface temperatures of the Earth are warming, it doesn't affect every place evenly. There are some areas that actually cool off a little bit because ocean circulations will change, which allows cooler water to end up in places that it might not otherwise, which leads that area to cool a little bit. But most of the world is experiencing warming. But climate change really just encompasses that idea that everything is changing. It's not all the same. And similarly, it's warming just refers to temperature. And it's not just temperature. Precipitation is changing. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into climate that uh, the word warming just doesn't encapsulate. So I, I get why it's weird to see all these different changing terminologies, but there is a real reason for them. And uh, I, I think that it's important to actually understand those reasons. And I, I don't think it's much of a reason to be cynical about climate change in any way. Um, certainly, it's important to me to be precise with language. For example, I tend to avoid using the phrase renewable energy to describe clean energy because uh, there are some sources like uh, nuclear energy, which I think obviously there's issues with, but it's relatively clean. It certainly doesn't emit carbon, but it is not renewable. And on the flip side, there are things like biofuels where we uh, grow a bunch of corn or soy or trees and chop it down and burn it that that's renewable. You can renew these resources, but 
it's not clean. It's emitting carbon. So, yeah, language is important, and I think these evolutions, uh, global cooling was a real thing that we fixed. Global warming to climate change was just making the language more precise. The last question I'll answer uh, before we go to a quick break. Uh, this one is not cynical. Um, actually, I, I don't think any of these are cynical to me. These are good questions, but uh, this one, uh, my answer is <laughs> a little cynical. Uh, it comes from my uh, papa, Jack Brown, who, by the way, is a patron. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, he asked, uh, just listen to your broadcast on the Montney Formation. Since I grew up in that area, I'm wondering, as I grow older and start forgetting more things, whether this formation and the activity surrounding it is the cause, do you think I'd have a chance in court? It's tough getting by on just an old age pension, eh? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I, I did answer this to him earlier in the year, but the Muttney Formation was not actually tapped into until the last couple decades. So, no, that would not have affected any uh, health that uh, you'd be experiencing today since uh, you have not lived there in a while. But uh, it, it is obviously a very real thing that we talked about in that episode and other Carbon Bomb episodes that being near these types of Fossil fuel projects can lead to negative health effects, and I don't know of court cases that have exactly done what you're saying. Um, I'd be curious, and maybe I can look into that, but yeah, there there are other formations in that area. We're going to do an episode soon on the Athabasca oil sands, which is also in Alberta and has been up and running for a lot longer, but... Yeah, Montney Formation, pretty recent, so unless you've been in that region in the last 15 years or so, uh, you would not be seeing any health impact from that. We will go to a quick break now, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have a little fun. I've got ChatGPT queued up, and uh, it's going to help me answer some of the more cynical questions I've received on social media over the last year. So uh, strap in, we're going to have some fun. We'll be back right after this. Does the idea of a battlefield with whizzing bullets sound scary, but you want an experience with similar rigor? Then being in marching band is for you. Don't know what to wear? Similarly to the army, your uniform is provided. Sure, you could wear all camouflage and have no one see you, or wear a brightly colored uniform with a feather on your head and have everyone see you. Marching Band, the army for nerds. Welcome back to segment two of our bonus episode. A quick clarification before I go forward on the point about global cooling. One thing I left out that I should have said is global warming was still known to be an issue. There were scientists growing concerned about this. And in fact, global cooling was really more of something that the media picked up on that 
a smaller percentage of scientists were concerned about. Again, like I was talking about, there was an issue of ozone-depleting chemicals going into the atmosphere. Um, the issue was more related to the ozone layer than to global cooling, but uh, there were some scientists hypothesizing that that could be an issue. Um, but again, like I said, that got under control via the Montreal Protocol, and uh, global warming has continued to be a concern. So with that, let's move on to our next batch of questions. Um, this one comes from at Weasladder, who's denying that there's a climate? Uh, well, like I promised, I would let ChatGPT take a few cracks at these. Um, and my personal favorite answer to this one was a philosophy major. By constantly questioning the nature of reality, they would argue that since climate cannot be directly observed or touched, its existence is merely a theoretical construct. I also liked underground mole people living their whole life underground. They've never experienced weather firsthand, so the concept of a global climate system seems like surface-dweller nonsense. And of course, a lost mermaid. Having lived her entire life under the sea, she's more familiar with ocean currents than atmospheric conditions, and thus the idea of a climate is as foreign to her as walking on land. But in all seriousness, I actually find the term climate denier a bit silly myself as well. Not necessarily for this reason, because we very often use the word climate as a shorthand to refer to climate change. But I find it a little silly because people come at this issue from so many different angles, and it's really silly to lump them all into one group. There are some people who flat out call themselves deniers, and they embrace that label. We can even get into some conspiracy folks, but I find there's a much, much bigger group of people who have just kind of tuned out climate change. Either the problem makes them anxious, or in many cases, the only solutions they've heard of sound so unappealing that they'd rather take their chances with climate change. And I totally get that. There's a lot of policy proposals that have a lot of drawbacks or might not align with everyone's political ideologies. And even zooming back further, the idea that climate action requires all these personal sacrifices that's an idea that's both inaccurate and really demoralizing. So that's why at The Sweaty Penguin, we give you all the options, pros and cons. Sometimes there are regulations that could be options, sometimes there are deregulations that can be options. Sometimes a personal action can help, but there are usually alternatives that both help the climate and make our lives better. I actually really enjoy talking to folks who might consider themselves quote-unquote deniers because often after talking about some of these paths forward that are genuinely really exciting, it becomes a lot easier to acknowledge climate science and from there, all these conversations about solutions and policy become so much more productive and more fruitful with these new voices at the table. Next question comes from Stephen Alexander. How are we supposed to take this expert seriously? Well, I have a degree in environmental analysis and policy. I've been hosting this show for almost four years now, which has given me the opportunity to talk to around 150 of the world's top climate scholars. But to genuinely answer your question, my hope is not to 
flex expertise as a 24 year old which is obviously still extremely limited but to connect with you all on a more personal level and let you be a part of my learning journey as I square my education, my conversations with actual experts, and the current events that we see in the world. If you've listened to The Sweaty Penguin for a while, I hope you've picked up on a few things. First off, I make sure for each episode, a researcher on our team who did not work on the episode fact-checks every single thing in the script. When we do get something wrong, which happens. We always make sure to let you all know about it in excruciating detail. And maybe most significant, I came into the climate world with zero agenda. I feel like a lot of my work actually ends up critiquing climate activists or other climate journalists if I feel they're not approaching something right. I was never an outdoorsy person growing up. I love animals and natural landscapes, but no more so than the next guy. I mean, my passion for climate change truly stemmed out of what, to me, sometimes feels like selfishness. I want a normal life for myself. It seems like climate change could impact that, so I wanted to see that get addressed. I talk about all different types of policy, but I really don't care which side proposes it or what ideologies it represents, as long as it helps the climate, helps the economy, and makes our lives better. I don't really make money at this yet, certainly not from the sweaty penguin. I really just want to see our lives get better, and I thought climate was the most important way to pursue that. I know I'm no expert in the grand scheme of things, but I hope as a 24-year-old's go, I've done what I can to educate myself, demonstrate my intentions, and hopefully earn your trust. Uh, Next question comes from the Dot Connector. Is this a comedy show? Uh, yes, The Sweaty Penguin is a comedy show. I think this comment was from a clip I did on another show called Timeless with Julie Hartman, and Julie's show is not a comedy show, though I do encourage you to check out our conversation, but I am so glad that you found me hilarious nonetheless. Uh, this one from BT. Uh, where did they find this taffy apple at? Well, Last night, they found me with your mom. But in all seriousness, I grew up in Bethel, Connecticut, which I think contributed to what I do today as well. Our town is about 50-50 liberal conservative, so I've been exposed to both perspectives all my life. I've always loved asking people questions about their political viewpoints to try to understand why they feel the way they feel. And I think that's a big part of how today I'm able to talk climate with such a wide audience and hopefully present solutions that can be appealing to both sides of the aisle. I never expect any of you to like every solution in an episode, but if you like one or two ideas, that's all I can ask. Uh, This one from Hans. Uh, Who is this clown? He is only missing the red nose. You know, it's funny how many people commented I was a clown or I'm mentally ill this year because I know that. That's like half the jokes on this podcast. I would love a red nose, though. I think it would go great with my purple blazer and bow ties. So if you want to send me one, Hans, I would really appreciate that. Next, from Ska to uh, Pinadu, he lost his regular job as mascot of that big burger chain, question mark. Well, actually, 
Once upon a time, in a world filled with the enticing aroma of fast food and the gleam of golden arches, I, Ethan the Optimist, stood proudly as the original face of McDonald's. Dressed in my vibrant purple blazer, a perfectly knotted bow tie, and my hair marked by a distinctive blonde streak, I was a symbol of joy and delicious burgers. I danced outside the storefronts with the energy of a thousand Happy Meals, my laughter echoing down the streets. Children would run toward me with glee, and adults couldn't help but smile. I was more than just a mascot, I was the embodiment of happiness in a sometimes too serious world. But fate, as it often does, had other plans. The day came when the McDonald's executives decided to shake things up. They introduced Ronald McDonald, a clown with hair as red as ketchup and a smile wider than the bun of a Big Mac. With Ronald's arrival, my days at McDonald's started dwindling. My vibrant purple blazer and bow tie, once symbols of joy, now hung quietly in the shadows as Ronald's bright colors took center stage. The children who once greeted me with excitement now flocked to him, leaving me to watch from the sidelines. With a heavy heart, I set aside my unique uniform, stepping away from the golden arches that had been my realm. The world continued to spin, Ronald became the new icon, and I, Ethan the Optimist, became a mere footnote in the grand tale of McDonald's. Okay, uh, ChatGPT wrote that one. Alright, this one is from Eric Von Eric, L-O-L-T-F-U-P-P-L on about. I mean, I really don't like hot weather, so mostly that. Also, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, definitely on about that. Uh, this one from Jin Sakai. Uh, such a scam, is there anyone left buying this propaganda? Well, the post Jin was commenting on was about the polar jet stream, so I really didn't say anything controversial, but your question brings up an interesting point, Jin, which is, what would the incentive be to create propaganda around climate change? The reverse I completely understand. Even though clean energy sources are cost-effective, what fossil fuels have that they don't is volatility. With solar, you know once you set up a panel, you'll be able to generate energy for a long time. With oil or natural gas, you don't always know which drilling or fracking projects are going to hit big, what international geopolitics will look like, so you end up having to place a lot of bets. And for investors who get good at this, that means they can make way bigger profits in fossil fuels than in clean energy as it's structured right now. They can also lose a lot more, and many do. These companies go bankrupt all the time, but investors like to take that bet. So I understand why, even though clean energy sources often outcompete fossil fuels on cost for consumers, investors would have an incentive to keep a vibrant fossil fuel industry. On the flip side, what is the incentive to lie or propagandize as a climate advocate? I'm actually genuinely asking because this is something that confuses me. I've seen many times where activists or NGOs or nonprofits will skew information or ignore facts or perpetuate doom and gloom beyond what is based in science. And you know I call it out, but... I really don't understand why. 
It's not for money, I can tell you that. You can make a lot more in polluting industry jobs than in climate advocacy, if that's what you care about. So, I don't know. Maybe people are passionate about a particular policy or lifestyle and think skewing data in their favor is a better strategy than leading with facts. Maybe people like attention or just aren't good at critical thinking. I don't know. I, I really don't. And I don't want to throw the whole climate movement under the bus or every fossil fuel company for that matter. I think the majority of people are good actors with different perspectives and that's okay. Even if you want to make money, that's okay if you do it honestly. I'll say this about myself though. I really don't care about the politics. Beyond that, we do something. I'm not making money at this. I'm probably like you in that I just want to find the truth. And if I communicate the truth, I think I'm a lot more trustworthy. If I were getting caught lying, I think I would lose all my credibility immediately. This stuff is complicated. It's scary. The better we can understand it and learn that there are opportunities to address these issues with any number of different technologies or political strategies, the better off we probably are. Next question from uh, Bogdan Malele. Why do you want to take over Gotham City? Well, as a climate communicator, I've obviously always dreamed of transforming Gotham City into the perfect example of a green utopia. You see, beneath the towering skyscrapers and bustling streets of Gotham lies a city crying out for environmental rejuvenation. I envision rooftop gardens replacing the gray skyline, solar panels gleaming atop every building, and lush green spaces where concrete once rained. Imagine solar, wind, and nuclear powering the city, reducing the smog that blankets Gotham, and restoring the air to crystal clarity. Picture EVs, bikes, scooters, and buses that aren't getting flipped, gliding silently through the streets, a Batmobile run entirely on Alfred's feces, and a place where every citizen recycles and composts, although I'll still let them use plastic straws, obviously. My takeover of Gotham isn't about power for power's sake, it's about awakening a city to its true potential as a beacon of sustainability and prosperity. Gotham can set an example for the world, showing that even the most industrial of cities can bloom into a green haven. Thanks for that one too, ChatGPT. I will say though, this town deserves a better class of climate solutions, and I'm gonna give it to them. Last but not least, before we go, uh, on last week's Rethinking Carbon episode, I did kind of put out a proverbial bat signal to the audience when I said that uh, Ice cores were trapping dinosaur farts and that I was going to believe it until emphatically told otherwise. And obviously it was a joke, but I in fact was emphatically told otherwise uh, by my friend Olivia, who is actually a paleoclimatologist. Uh, she told me dinosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago and our very, very oldest Antarctic ice so far is only about 4.5 million years old. So... Uh, lots of other farts, but no dinosaur farts. So, <laughs> thought you guys would like to hear that as well. Thank you, Olivia, for 
emphatically crushing my dreams. And I guess that's where we're leaving you at the end of 2023. Thank you all so much for listening to another year of The Sweaty Penguin. Have a wonderful new year, and we will see you next week for a deep dive on polar bears. A couple weeks late on the holiday spirit, but hopefully not too late, so be sure to tune in then.